learning the step is the first 5% of the work. Hmm. You know, that's the busy work. Once you get to the point of learning the step, you've just gotten the busy work out of the way. Now the next 95% is learning how to play it. That is Heather Cornell, and this is the Tap Love Tour podcast. Welcome to the Tap Love Tour Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Knights. Our guest today is a giant in the world of rhythm, and I'm honored to have her on the show. Canadian Heather Cornell was the founding artistic director of Manhattan Tap, a dance company that thrived and trained a legion of dancers for over 20 years. Her wealth of knowledge and experience is staggering. I've had the privilege of working with her on a few occasions, and every time I get the chance to be around her, I live a little bit richer, uh, a little bit more inspired. A few years ago, I started a YouTube series called The Interviews. I had just left Tapestry Dance Company in Austin, Texas, and I was hungry for mentorship. So I straight up shoved a camera in the faces of dancers who I both respected and who would honestly tolerate me asking the main question that was on my mind. How do you survive in a life of tap? Every single interview impacted me in different ways. They now serve as fixtures of inspiration for me when I feel stumped or, or, or blocked. Heather's interview is incredible, and I encourage you all to subscribe to the Tap Love Tour channel on YouTube and check it out. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. In this podcast, we talked about her recent release of her new album, Making Music Dance. Do yourself a favor. Buy yourself a copy at cdbaby.com. The link is in the, 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 the link is in the description. She's an artist through and through, socially conscious, mother of two, teacher, performer, choreographer, director. Oh, and she just celebrated her 60th birthday. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Tap Love Tour podcast, Heather Cornell. So Heather, 60, happy birthday. Thank you. Awesome. That's wonderful. This is wonderful. wonderful. What a wonderful day. How, how are you feeling? Good. I, was, I just had, um, I just went to my, my once a year person that I go and she just does a whole tune up of my body and nice. she turned 60 last year and we were talking about how the ownership, like it's just, a, it's a whole different thing turning 60 than like turning 40 or 50 because sure. Now it's wise woman time. Mm. And, but, you know, I always knew at 50 it was wise woman time, but I was so busy not telling people I was 50. (laughs) (laughs) And about a year ago, I thought, you know, this is feeling kind of interesting. I think I'm going to start owning this instead of, you know, pretending I'm younger. That's correct. You've earned it. Yeah, Yeah. I have earned it. And and it's kind of cool to be a wise person. (laughs) And I do feel way more wise I, I still do really stupid things all the time sure, you know sure but in terms of my um what I know about the world and what I know about what I do and and what I can give other people right. I know I have no no doubt that I have a lot of information that 
And and I guess the hardest part right now is how to share it. I had you know I released the CD in November. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, um, by the way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, so now I'm making music. That's really what I want to do. And and it's when I'm the most happy is when I'm playing music with the musicians that I create with. Yeah. And, which is what I have with Manhattan Tap. Just different vehicle, different um, type of music, and different. Uh, style of working you know but intrinsically it's the same thing i'm creating with a group of people that i that i want to play with can you can you can you tell me uh um, can you talk to me about the difference between the style of working with manhattan tap creating music that way and creating music specifically with musicians well for one thing with manhattan tap i was really young Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and i was learning how to do it in the process of doing it because there's nobody else really doing that at that moment and I just, it was something that I knew had to happen after listening to Cookie and, and Buster and Steve and Chuck and Jimmy and all those guys. Um, sorry if I left anybody out. Right, yeah. Eddie, obviously. Woo, that's a big one. Hmm. But, um, you know, after listening to them and hanging out with them and, and performing with them and studying with them, I just, I felt like, wow, um, tap is music. Like, it's it happened together. So what happened? <laughs> you right. know, why, why are, when I ask a musician to play with me, do they look at me like weird when, you know, when I say I'm a tap dancer, I'm sure that didn't happen with these guys, mm-hmm. you know, or it, at least it was understood that the, the connection and, and, you know, Ray always told me that it was so important. The, um, the tap dancers and bebop, we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it, so in Manhattan Tap, um, I was figuring it out. I remember Scrapple from the Apple was me trying to figure out what's a good jazz arrangement. Mm-hmm. That was the first piece I made, was Scrapple from the Apple. I made it in the airport when I was traveling with Jazz Tap Ensemble. <laughs> and I was so impassioned I couldn't stop dancing, whether I was standing, sleeping, or you know whatever. Mm. I remember making the head for Scrapple from the Apple in one airport in Europe. While we were while I was touring with them, knowing that I was going to go back and start this group, or we had kind of already started, and um, and I was trying to figure out what does it mean as a tap dancer to make an arrangement. What does it mean as a tap dancer to? Am I playing the melody or am I playing the percussion? Yeah, you know, you know, like I was figuring it out. Nobody was teaching me because there was nobody to really talk to about that kind of stuff because nobody else was doing it. Yeah, or thinking about it that way and. If I look at Scrapple now, the reason why I like teaching it is because I feel like it's a super naive mm-hmm. um, a, a, a approach or a super naive attempt mm-hmm. at trying to figure out how tap integrates into the music. You know, it's a great piece and it's held up over time. Mm-hmm. I teach it to the students today and it's difficult for them um, and they like it. They, they feel it. But mm-hmm. to me, it was just like, there I am trying to figure out what is a trade? What is it? What, what, you know, what's a good arrangement? Um, why was, why was Scrapple from the Apple based on Honeysuckle Rose? What the hell's that? You know, mm-hmm. and there were, there were all these things I was trying to figure out and I was just answering them by making stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much as a choreographer, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I just answered my questions by making a piece. Mm-hmm. With Ray Brown, when I, you know, when I made Gumbo Hump, I, I felt really undereducated to be in the room, um, you know, having a, an argument about what our 
arrangement was going to be for Gumbo Hump because he engaged with me as an equal, you know, Hmm. and, and to me, like I always tell people that was like my PhD in, in arranging was making Gumbo Hump in the suite because it was all out warfare when we were arranging together. You know, he didn't, he didn't treat me with kid gloves at all. He, he just laid his heart on the line the entire time. Hmm. It was the best education I could ever get, you know, but the, there was something about me that could stay in that moment and not, um, I, I, I don't know, I was very fragile, but not fragile at all. Hmm. You know, like, I think if I were to treat an, a student today the way that Ray and I collaborated together, I probably would get fired. Because <laughs> it was real, yeah. you know, it yeah. was really real. It was like, you just broke my heart. He, I remember him saying, you just st- stuck a stake through my heart. Wow one point and I and I was like oh, okay we'll do it your way he's like no no we're not doing it my way we're doing it that way because it's the best way hmm. what I'm saying to you is you just stuck a stake through my heart you know <laughs> I mean wow how, how is a young artist supposed to process that right, you know right but it was it that was the education that I was getting and so everything that I did I think in Manhattan Tap was was my PhD. It was my education, which is why it's so funny that they won't credit me in the universities as having, um, you know, nowadays they want everybody to have a master's, right. have gone to school to to teach. I'm lucky to be teaching at Manhattanville. Grandfathered in there, you know, but but it really was my PhD working with him. And so now, like when I'm creating with um, with Andy and Adriel, yeah. Tony, I, I have, I have skills. I have a set of skills. Mm -hmm. I know how to do this now. And, um, when you know how to do something, when you, when you have mastery over something, you not, and I'm not calling myself a master. I'm saying I do have mastery over creating pieces and creating musical events. And, um, that doesn't mean I don't create stinkers once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) But still, I'm confident when I go in the studio, I know where I know what I'm looking for. I, I know the process that, that I'm looking for a new process. I know I don't want to limit myself to what I did the last time we made a piece. Yeah. And I'm able to mentor that in the room. I'm able to keep the, the room moving forward in new directions. That said, I have people like Adriel in the group who's 20, what, 25 or 27 or something who mm. I've known since he was 13, mm. who is my absolute equal in mm. terms of musicality. Um, arranging uh, he's he's a phenomenally talented musician like yeah. just to for me he is off the charts talented and creative and free and um you know sometimes he goes so far out you can't even you can't even stay with him and you got to pull him raid him back in again you know mm-hmm. just an incredible artist and and andy is a phenomenally deep artist he really sort of keeps us all on track and keeps moving forward he's super smart super fast remembers everything um phenomenal composer incredible composer so i feel really grateful that these guys and tony you know tony again has been teaching at my intensive for 10 years and he's an incredible incredible artist as well and has so much to offer he's been on so many recordings and um and he and and he and all of us mm-hmm. feel like when we're in the room, we're growing. Yeah. And that's what, to me, makes me just want to be in the room with these guys all Beautiful. the time. Beautiful. Yeah, because everything I do, they challenge me on a level that I don't get challenged when I just, quote, unquote, function as a tap dancer. 
can you can you tell me uh, about your album about your your recording process uh what you learned i i just i recorded listen first of all i'll say this i'm, I'm sorry i'm going all over the place um i'm sure i told you when uh we did this i interviewed you a couple of years ago um that the interviews was totally a selfish endeavor on my on my end i really was looking for mentorship i go back uh pretty periodically to those interviews and the things that you said um ha number one haunted me uh number two resonated with me I, and i and i think haunt and resonate is kind of the same mm -hmm. kind of the same word sort of um it was a really important interview for me, and it and it uh, took my dancing in a completely different uh, di direction. I I've, I've been telling people this about the effect of your interview on me, but I don't think I've told you. I was depressed. I was depressed for a good month or two uh, until I, I I turned the corner. Um, it was it was that kind of. It had that kind of impact. You were depressed after the interview? Yeah, absolutely. Just, oh, just sad. <laughs> Heather, I was just sad. So sorry. <laughs> in, a, in, in a good way, because... And this, is, this is the effect Heather has on people. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you, you, start, you started, um, at the top of this, you started talking about your, your wisdom and, and things that you have to offer people. And I think it's a big deal. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's substantial. The, my dancing... My dancing... Uh, and even my view of my dancing uh, before the interview versus after the interview, that kind of growth, that change, that uh, understanding uh, is and was really important to me. I started recording uh, recently. I started with one tune and we're going to we're going to keep on keeping on. Um, but the but the learning, the the um, integrity that you have to have in terms of honoring or being clear exactly clear and precise with what you're saying tapathetically it was a learning lesson um and it continues to be a learning lesson thank you so much <laughs> well thank you for sharing that yes yeah. i don't get feedback very often mm. well i get the other kind of feedback a lot but <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah my teaching style is to push people yeah and, and i don't hold back when i'm talking about the things that i believe in and and mm. that upsets a lot of people so it's nice when I get the feedback. But so in terms of recording, um, I feel like I'm a baby with it because I know like when I went into the the, <clears throat> the studio with these guys, even Adriel, who's 25, they've got way more experience at it mm -hmm. than I do because they're, they're, they're bread and butter, you know. Yeah. And we should have way more experience at it than we do. And that, that's, that's one part of the carrying on the tradition that I feel like baby Lawrence was just getting into. And, you know, right. there's, uh, there's another recording, I think with three of them on it and they were starting to go in that direction and then everything kind of fell off the edge of a cliff, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that would have, if everything hadn't fallen off the edge of the cliff, I don't think we would have ever lost the connection between tap and music, you <laughs> know, but that the whole recording thing just kind of disappeared for a long time. And, you know, some people have done it like, um, uh, with Winton, he had a tap dancer, right? Winton, yeah, uh, Jared. Right? Jared, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So Jared's done it, and it, we've shown up 
in different places. But we're but like as always, we're sort of an anomaly. We're not right. an integral part of the process or an integral part of the music. Where whereas like the 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 CD couldn't happen without without you. Right. You know. Right. And so what I wanted to get into was writing music that um, or creating music that where the tap was an integral part and replacing the percussion with the tap, but not by imitating a percussionist, um, you know, not by imitating a conga player or a drummer or a trap set or whatever. Yeah. That's all imitation, you know, is, is all um, part of the process of getting better. Right. But you have to be really smart when you use imitation to train to make sure that it's understood as imitation and, and it's under, it's, you know, it's like when I teach an Eddie Brown routine, I just had this conversation with my college students. You know, why are we learning this? Why exactly are we learning this? Are we learning this so that you can own it? No. Are we learning this because, you know, so that you can um, imitate it partially? Hmm. Are we learning it so you can take it on stage in three weeks? No. You know, we're learning it because these guys were really good at what they did, really independent, really individual, and had these isms about them that can inform us. And mm. so to go through the process of some really phenomenal artist-ism, mm. it transforms you, you know? So yeah. so why did I get into imitation? Okay, so, so in for me, in terms of... Um, becoming a percussionist who's integral to some music or other i went through a process and i and i teach this all the time of pretending to be a trap set drummer pretending to be a conga player pretending to wow. be you know timbales pretending to be cajon pretending to be sand brushes mm -hmm. you know because that's just part of learning that's part of training but i i never wanted to replace the drummer or the conga player because that creates a limitation to me um, that I don't have to go, you know, I don't need to go into my place of limitations. I need to go into my place of what do I offer that, that nobody else offers, right, you know? Right, right. So we, we started playing around with, you know, flamenco and tap and, and just because Anna has kids my age and we became friends and we were like, man, let's do something. I'm getting a little stir crazy here. Mm. So we started working together and um, we started, I think probably, I don't think we ever went through the process of replacing the percussion, except that, except one in one piece, Mike's movie, where I actually worked from the track of Andy playing drums, because he's also a drummer, the bell phone player. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the rest of it, it was all sort of free creation. How are we going to, you know, it was just like creating a dance piece. Um, but the goal was, to have it be able to play equally orally and visually, you know, so we could play in a club yeah. on a, on a matchbook, or we could play in a huge theater, you know, mm. because conceptually Anna and I can't help, but conceptualize music visually because of who I was working with, Tony and Andy and Adriel who've been teaching with me for you know, and any, anywhere between eight and 15 years, um, they, they understood who I was as a musician and because we've been talking to students for so many years together about music, you know? Mm -hmm. So we just, we just set in, we just got in a studio and started to play and people brought stuff in like, um, Andy brought in two of his pieces, Adriel brought two of his pieces. Um, Tony ended up 
adding a piece and we created two pieces together and we just got together and started to play and, um, and create. I just really loved what we were coming up with. So we started gigging a little bit and then, and then I just felt like this is, this music is just so rich. It, it needs to be recorded <laughs> and, you know, just got this bug that I wanted to get this thing recorded. Yeah. And so we just did it. We just went to the studio. We, we rented, a, um, we went to the studio in Jersey. That's like 250 bucks a day, you know, just to, to get everything in the can. Yeah. And we recorded for a day and a half. That was it. And then we, um, raised some money. I raised a bunch of money and, and then we, found a really great guy to mix with mm -hmm. and we about three months after we, we recorded after listening to it a lot we started mixing and I think we mixed for about three days Tony and Andy did the first two days and then Andy and I did the, the final mix mm -hmm. with this guy uh, Dave Darlington mm -hmm. and um it was such a learn it was just incredible learning process like I love at one point all of us were sitting in my car <laughs> Yeah. You know, listening to the CD because because that's one environment that you have to be able to hear, you know, every environment that mm -hmm. you take this into, you're going to hear a different mix right. because every sound system you put it on is a different mix. Well, that that presents a really interesting problem for tap dancers because first of all, it's a, it's a different oftentimes a different sound for percussion than you're used to. So the, the mix of it is not just sort of second nature. Wow. Okay. Go, go on. To figure out like where in the, is it okay if you can't hear every single note that I play? Mm -mm -mm. Well, there are places where you're not hearing every single note that a drummer plays, right. you know, because he's, he's bringing himself down so low and he's just really there for groove and time mm. there. So, so the entire process of the CD, we had to just sit there and try and figure out, Hmm, you know, like we, run it through all five filters and, and one person would say that's a perfect mix. Another person would say, it's really bothering me. I can't hear the tap. Another person would say, it's really bothering me. The flamenco is EQ'd wrong, mm. you know, and mm. we just kept trying to figure out what it was that, you know, that we wanted to hear that was not a tap dance CD. You know, I, mm -hmm. I just, didn't, I, I'm not making a tap dance CD. I'm, I'm making music. Right. And we wanted it to be a CD that people would listen to at, at home, you know, and not just a bunch of tap dancers listening to it and trying to figure out what the tap was, but that people would just put on at home and right. hang out with. And, uh, and so that was the intention the whole time. It was really, really, really interesting. I can't wait to do the next one. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I never, I just honestly never thought of that, about that in terms of mixing, uh, where, where should the taps be? Where should the taps lie? Um, uh, even even the the revelation <laughs> that um, as a tap dance percussionist you shouldn't uh, aim to imitate other kinds of percussion. What do you offer as a tap dance musician? It's a uh, wow, mind expanding. It is different really. because we do have to like I absolutely teach by by having people imitate different instruments, but right. but I also have them imitate the piano and imitate the bass and the sax mm -hmm. and the trumpet and, and it's you know it it's not it's not it's the same as Eddie Brown. It's not so that they're going to walk on stage and pretend to be a, a trap set drummer. Yeah, it's, it's so that they go through the filter of understanding. Well, how does a trap set drummer 
hold the groove? How does he divide the beat? How, when does he divide the beat? When does he uh, move the music forward? When does he um, uh, mark the phrase? When does he mark the chorus? Like, how does he, how does he mark the phrase and chorus? Those are all lessons to be learned, but they're lessons to be learned so that we can then be creative in how we are going to play our instrument. Yeah. Not so that we can then pretend to be a drummer. Okay, so so here's my question. Uh, once you you're we're we're deep into this lesson, we're deep into the imitation. How do you break the shackles of the lesson and and unleash your creativity? Do you do you have a a method for that? Yeah, it's about practicing smart. I I say this to my college students all the time. Mm-hmm. You guys need to practice. If, if you don't practice, I'm gonna know, <laughs> and I have to grade you. So mm-hmm. you do the math. Love it. You know, if you, it, it, it's not like it's a, a six-year-old who I will not tell to practice because I think that's soul killing, mm. but to a college student, it's different. You got to practice. Mm. So, but when you practice, you have to practice smart. Don't practice bullshit, mm. you know, practice smart. Don't imitate when, when like, like Tony Romano said in one of my classes one time, uh, one of my intensives. at the, the best gift he ever got from his guitar teacher was Every day that he arrived in class, he had to improvise for the first five minutes of class and the last five minutes of class. Hmm. We talked about this in the other. So, so, you know, I say to them, practice or when you're practicing, make sure you're giving yourself a voice. So improvise for part of that time. And I know none of them do it, Hmm. you know. Or maybe some of them do it. Probably some of them do it. I know not all of them do it because they just get to, down to what they think is going to make them better. You know, it takes a long time for people to, to find the wisdom to practice smart. Mm. But, you know, don't practice only imitation. Make sure if you're practicing like a paddle and roll, then practice it, you know, on the quarter note, practice it on the eighth note, the, the triplet. Practice it um, in groupings of three, in groupings of two, in groupings of, you know, five mm. um practice it clapping on the one clapping you know every two bees clapping every three you know just find ways to practice it so that you're not hardwiring a paddle and roll to be one thing right because all i ever do in my more advanced classes at the college is deprogram people <laughs> that's that's the teaching that's involved is deprogram deprogramming them so that they learn the music and not the technique music i'm constantly saying music first technique second Mm. the music is there or the technique is there to inform the music not the other way around Mm. you know and so you have to in your heart of hearts constantly check yourself and say am i using the technique to inform the music or am i just sort of rolling technique over top of music Mm. You know, it, it has the the music is the is the goal, and dance is the goal too. But the dance comes if you clean up the music and you clean up your weight shifts mm-hmm. and you know you use your hands. <laughs> You're gonna have some pretty decent style happening. We we had this discussion the other day in class about hands. Mm. So I remember um, one of the Nicholas brothers, I think, saying, I. Somebody had said, how do, you, how do you have such beautiful arms? And they said, oh, I don't have beautiful arms. I have beautiful hands. Yeah, probably Fayard. <laughs> Fayard's hands. Probably, right. <laughs> but if you think about it, yeah. like, and if you, if you get a group of beginner tap dancers and you say, okay, use your arms, you're going to see some pretty awkward crap. Mm. The minute you say, use your hands, all of a sudden there's this elegance that comes out. 
And it's it's just I did it the other day to my beginner class, and everybody kind of went, oh, like <laughs> because they felt like dancers all of a sudden. So many people pra- practice through imitation. I think this is where we came from. So many people learn through imitation. Oh, I know. You asked how we get from imitating. Yeah, to creativity, to 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 expression. So you use the imitation to to put to to live in somebody else's skin for a minute. Mm-hmm. But then it's up to you to figure out what that did to you. Mm. You know what I mean? So you don't live in their skin and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. You live in their skin so that something happens to you that makes you want to incorporate that into who you are. Yeah. You know, so like when I when I studied from Cookie, I didn't try and look like Cookie Cook, but I did get into his, you know, I, I lived in his skin for a bit and watched the way he dropped his weight and watched how he swung and watched what happened to his body when he was swinging. And, yeah. and, and then I incorporated what made sense to me into my style. So I don't look like cookie when I dance, mm-hmm. but I can imitate him pretty well <laughs> when I want to Eddie. I don't look like Eddie when I dance, but when I'm teaching Eddie, I can imitate him pretty well. Hmm. Not great, but pretty well, you know, so, yeah, it's a matter of being clear with yourself that the imitation it's, – it's like when I say to the students, learning the step is the first 5% of the work. Hmm. You know, that's the busy work. Once you get to the point of learning the step, you've just gotten the busy work out of the way. Now the next 95% is learning how to play it. Hmm. And I, I guess that's the difference. The, the first 5% is, is the imitation part. That's when you're supposed to, you're supposed to imitate. Yeah. You're supposed to imitate as cleanly as you can. But then you have another 95% of work where you have to learn to play it for who you are. And that's the part of the work that I think is misunderstood as tap dancers a lot. That, you know, we get to that 5% of work. I, that's what, I mean, the festivals are kind of built this way. If you have two and a half hours or one and a half hours with, with a dancer, how, how are you ever going to get past that five percent? Right, and that's where it becomes, and that's where the lessons become technical and steppy. And yeah, that's when the technique—it's technique first, music second instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of music first. It takes a long time to to train music first and technique second. Right, you have to be patient. You have to listen a lot. You have to be willing to stop and listen. You have to be willing to, like my my beginners after a month in my class, they know that if they stop feeling an emotional connection to the music they're they're supposed to stop dancing Hmm. and listen so my Hmm. class you know if somebody were to look at my class they think there were a whole bunch of people giving up nonstop. you know (laughs) all the way through (laughs) but they're not giving up they're listening they're going oh damn i forgot to listen i'm gonna listen yeah do you do you have advice for um the dancers out there that may be listening to this podcast well, I mean, number one is always work with live music if you're going to work with music. Mm. And and I'm I'm working with canned music in my in my college classes. I haven't managed to break down that barrier yet, so mm. I'll qualify it with I'm I'm not always able to do that either. But anytime I'm given the opportunity to work with live music, that's what I do. Mm. Don't dance on stage with a, with a piece of, you know, canned music ever, if you can help it. Mm. And that, just that alone is an education, you know, that, Oh, my, my, uh, tap three people, this, their, um, final project is they, Oh, and I was so happy I got to do this. 
their final project is they have to find a musician on campus somewhere and and put together a three minute piece with them. Love it. You know? And they were like, What? <laughs> Where are we supposed to find musicians? And I said, Are you kidding? There's a music department. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like you can't walk across the grass and find musicians. <laughs> so they're doing it and I can't wait till till Tuesday because I get to see it's the last class on Tuesday and I get to see what they've been coming up with, but it, it, you know, these are a lot of people who only got to have me once because they went straight into tap three, which was a big mistake because they didn't get any of the music training that happens in tap one and two, but they, um, are have you know, so they're having to figure it out. And so it's been really interesting in class trying to mentor them to communicate with musicians and they, cause they don't even really know how to ask the questions about You know, like I say, do you guys need any help? Just tell me what you need to know. They're like, we don't really know what we need to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they're so at a loss. But if you think about it, you you walk into a room with a musician, something's going to happen. Mm. You know, it may be that you both sit and stare at each other for an hour, and you're going to learn something from that. You're mm. going to learn to open your mouth the next time you walk in. You know, it may be that they just start playing, and you don't even know how to stop them. And you're going to learn, okay, if I want to get going on anything here, I'm going to have to find a way to stop them and ask for something, you know, like shit that happens. That's how I learned how to play with musicians was, was, you know, being thrown into the fire. Yeah. And so I think number one would be get, get happening with live music. It doesn't matter what kind of music. It can be any kind of music, get some musician in the room and start playing. You know, that's number one. And, um, listen, you know, like tap should be 50% listening mm. and 50% doing. And you should always be looking for the balance in the room. You know, like if you've got a musician that's quiet, um, how do you maximize on that? Mm. If you have a musician who's uh, inexperienced, how do you maximize on that? Yeah, there's always there's always something really really refreshing in any musician that you meet you know no matter how technical they are right no matter how resistant they are like you kind of have to find your in and i feel like that's the best music training that you can get is just trying to figure out how to how to coexist in the same room with somebody else playing at the same time real time on the job training yeah Yeah. i mean you, you can't um replace that with anything i mean that's why i've always taught the intensive with live music because Mm you can't, you can't explain it without a musician in the room. (laughs) You know what I mean? You cannot learn the skills of dancing to live music unless you do it. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's just it. And, um, that's the reality of it. So to me, that's the most important thing because I do believe that, uh, technique is there to play the music. It's like, if I sit down at the piano to play the notes I'm playing are not the most important thing the music is the notes are there to play the music, you know? Mm. And, (laughs) and then, I mean, and keep challenging yourself. Keep, uh, keep, um, well, you said it, keep understanding what you don't know. You just celebrated your 25th anniversary of your, um, your intensive in New York. You're going to do the next one in August. Can you tell me a little bit about it, about what people can expect this year? Yeah. So, um, it's back at my house, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a much more focused environment. 
it's going to be smaller again. Last year it was maximum 25. This year it's maximum 10, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's going to be three weeks instead of two so that I can really focus on, on, um, themes. The -hmm. first week or one week is going to be nurturing your solo voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, another week is going to be composing for tap. Um, but composing meaning, um, whatever that means, you know what I mean? Like now I, I don't think of myself as a choreographer anymore. Even when I'm making tap, I think of myself as a composer. And so we're going to be just looking into that. What does that mean? What do I mean when I say that? I'm not sure. Let's figure that out. You know, where's the crossover between composing tap and composing music? And is it the same thing? And, you know, how do you find your approach and how do you, you know, know, that kind of thing. Mm. And then the third one is for teachers talking about um, how to teach tap as as a musical instrument. (laughs) Wow. I need all of those. (laughs) I need all of those in my life right now. Yeah. And and so I'm hoping to get people back energized, um, you know, into taking the next step musically Mm -hmm. so that um, we don't stop. You know, I feel like we tend to, to scrape the tip of the iceberg a lot and then we go, okay, been there, done that. Entertain me some more. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Tell me what else I can do now instead of like sitting with stuff and trying to figure out, you know, like this musical project would never have happened if I hadn't really sat with it for a while to try and figure, figure out why I feel like we're still imitating music Mm. or why I feel like we're still zoning it out, even with all the wisdom that we have in the scene now, you know? And, and so, yeah, I feel like we need, we need laboratories. We don't have a post-secondary environment yet none of us have been able to make that happen a full-time post-secondary environment. That's a laboratory for, for tap dance. A you lab. Know? And, and so I feel like that's my next stage is, is we're really, now I've spawned, you know, three generations of dancers. So I want people to come back together and, and inspire each other and teach each other and, and, but take it to the next place, you know, a laboratory for tap where we're really moving it again in, you know, in new directions. And, um, and I want people to really, you know, want to go to that next place to, to, to really figure out who they are as a musician and, and, um, and want to just, you know, take some time to, to shift, to give themselves shift, you know, to, to learn how to listen again and, and to, uh, to create true, you know, from a unique place. Heather, you're getting me all fired up. I'm getting fired up. Unbelievable. <laughs> a lab. That's, that, that's a great idea. A, a place of focus, a place where perhaps after years of toiling, you may be blessed by, by realizing something and say, Eureka, yeah. um, the and next the level. Other, the, yeah. other part, the other part of it is I've morphed it a bit. Like the morning class is, is, um, technique basically technique as music, mm-hmm. but, but technique meaning not technique, you know, meaning what, are, what is the technique that you actually need to be a musician? Mm. And what does that mean? What, like maybe we morph the way that we train ourselves. Maybe we, we morph, um, how, you know, how much time we're, we're doing and how much time we're listening, but like really what does it mean to, to train technically as a musician? So that's morning. And then 
instead of the music class in the middle of the day, I'm having one hour. I'm keeping what I did last year, which is New Directions. And I'm hoping that people will come who are really serious about the laboratory aspect of it. And then that that's an hour for everybody, for five people who want, you know, one a day, who want to share their own passion that they're in the midst of, you know. Hmm. So if 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 yours is interviewing, you can talk for an hour about how, inter- you know, how this has enriched your life or how mm. it's enriched the scene or why you did it, why you think it's important to the world of tap, you know, mm. and for people to listen to how people feel like they're either nurturing themselves or nurturing the scene. And I mean, last year we had somebody who did a day, a day on Indian music. Somebody did a day on um, the, uh, the ORF, technique we did a day on recording max came in and talked about why he moved from um cuban to classical Mm. you know just just we gotta start in you know inspiring each other and supporting each other in these new directions you know so so that's the the hour and then the afternoon is the laboratory where we work on whatever it is is the focus of the week and um and we just get as deeply into it as we can how do i say this uh, what you just described as the tap lab uh, is um, a call for pursuing the next level. Yeah. And it's so confusing um, being in your own space, breathing your own air, um, that uh, when I get an opportunity to talk to people like you, it's inspiring and, and kind of pushes me in in the correct direction. That's it, that's the main reason why these interviews are so important to me. Um, and I just got it just now today. Uh, thank you. My God. Yeah, well, and, and you too. Thank you. Because I never, I've been trying to figure out how to explain to people mm-hmm. and how to integrate this into my new persona as a 60 year old wise woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love you know it. what I mean? Like I don't want to be teaching steps to people it just doesn't make any sense to me at all I don't want to teach technique even to people unless it 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 is inspiring them to create their own voice in a new way you know so yeah I'll teach technique but 90% of what I teach nowadays is toes and heels Hmm. because the musicality of what I'm teaching is where it gets difficult and where it gets really um, challenging, you know, mm. and anybody can then take those kinds of concepts and apply them to any level of technique, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I haven't been interested in teaching technique for about 15 years, but I haven't really owned that in, in a really obvious way. And, and I feel like what I can offer is I'm a really good collaborator. I have a huge amount of experience as a collaborator and there are not a lot of good collaborators sure. out there. Sure. So I can teach people how to get in a room with other people and inspire each other. It's kind of like uh, you, you sound like a, a humanist tap dancer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the band. I mean, why do I want to play in this band? Because every time I work with them, I get better. Yeah. And that's what should happen all the time. We, every time we get in a room with somebody, we should get better. Not because they told us how to do it, hmm but because they did what they do and inspired us. Heather, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I always love it when we get to talk. I love it. I love it. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, may May the next 60 years be even better than the first. Thank you. They will be. I love it. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the podcast. Heather's Tap Lab Intensive takes place in the first three weeks of August. For more information on Heather's Intensive, visit manhattantap.org. I want to give a special shout out to Pamela Hetherington in Philly. What it do? Here's a track from Heather Cornell's new album, Making Music Dance, called Mike's Movie. Enjoy. Much love, one love, tap love. We'll see you next week.